Today's episode is dedicated to the healthcare workers who have died from suicide, who are feeling pulled towards attempting suicide, to anyone who is feeling distraught, distressed, hopeless about their future working in a hospital or within this healthcare system. This is dedicated to you. This episode is also calling you in and inviting you into a supportive community of healthcare workers who understand and who have been there, myself included, being a bedside nurse for almost eight years in the pediatric intensive care unit at a level one trauma center in California. I not only have been there myself, turned to drugs, alcohol, to numb it all. I have also been witness to colleagues who have died by suicide. I'll share a little bit more about that after um, in the reflection of this episode. But today I'm going to read a letter. This letter was written by a nurse. Her name was Tristan Kate Smith. She died from suicide August 7th of 2023. And she wrote this letter in March of 2023. It was found on her laptop by her family. And I'm going to read this letter because it's a message from her. It's a message from all of the healers who we've lost to suicide. And it's a call to action. And so we're honoring her life along with all the lives of those lost and all of the lives that are still here that we need to tend to, that need our urgent, urgent support. And again, a call to action around the emergent, emergent evolution of this healthcare system that is crushing so many good people. So I'm going to go ahead and read the letter and then we'll reflect on it. I'll share some stories and we will also be talking about some solutions. A letter to my abuser. Ever since I was young, I expressed interest in healthcare and becoming a nurse. So I began my study. I gave my heart, my body, and my mind to you dedicated long hours and days, and gave you my all. I have cried with patients, with their families, and for them. I held their hands, and they held mine as I moved forward in my nursing career. My patients, their families have been there for me, supported me, and reminded me why I do what I do. I thought that was enough. This would be all I needed to carry me through my career. I told you I would be there through the good and the bad, but you have taken my heart and slowly crushed the goodness it had. You love-bombed me with affection. You told me I was going into a career that matters. I could make a difference. 
You made me feel comfortable despite the rumors of your abusive past, rumors I didn't want to believe. The compliments, the pizzas, and the thank you letters gradually had less meaning to me, though. The staff I worked beside began to go away. In your eyes, these staff were unnecessary, but it came at a high cost for your advertised, quote, quality care provided to our patients by those who of us who were left. You asked my colleagues and me what we needed to help patients and improve satisfaction scores, and we told you the truth. But then you sent us to an online courses that taught us to just smile more and be friendlier to the patients. That's when I began to understand your true cruelty and manipulation. I remember the first time I heard about nurses getting hit. I remember that you asked them what they'd done or didn't do to prevent it from happening. Don't protect yourself by fighting back, you said. Just lay with your hands over your head and wait until security comes. You created an environment of fear and blame in a place we already felt unsafe. You blamed us for things out of our control. You criminally charged my colleagues for things that, that happened as a direct result of your own actions. The law doesn't protect us and neither do you. I no longer feel like you care about me or the people you say you serve. I sit at my front desk just waiting for someone to walk in off the street and shoot my patients and me. You do not care about keeping us protected. You haven't provided even the slightest amount of security to keep us safe. You use and exploit us to line your pockets, using the common citizen's money for overpriced health care. You are a narcissist. I can see you for what you really are. You say you care, but you ignore us while we beg on our hands and knees. You tell us we do so much and that we put up with so much. But when we dare to think we are finally going to get the love and support we deserve, we get a pizza party and free pens for the, quote, healthcare heroes. I so desperately want to continue to help people, but I cannot stay in this abusive relationship. Each day, you ask me to do more with less. You beat me to the point that my body and my mind are black, bruised, and bleeding out. I'm only sorry to my patients and colleagues. You deserve so much better, but my abusive partner is relentless. If I stay, I will lose my sanity and possibly my life forever. I'm now going to read from my journal, February 19th of 2022. And to give you some context at this point in my life, I had taken a leave of absence from my work as a bedside nurse. I had taken medical leave and it was actually for my mental health. So at this point I was planning my way out, like, how can I get out of this? And so I was seeking support and, um, through therapy, counseling, whatever I could get. And so, um, they had directed me to employee assistance program and this was my experience. So I am continuing to learn a lot about myself through this leave and even more about the massive failures of the 
quote, systems in place to, quote, support people going through similar and even very different situations. I took this leave to better reflect on my needs and support my mental health, yet every step of the process has caused more stress and anxiety. And by process, I mean the part by which the state of California is supposed to support my health and well-being by paying me my benefits of disability insurance. So let's go back. When I was in crisis at the end of December 2021, I reached out to EAP, the only resource I knew I had in addition to my primary care physician. I was then referred to an online system that matched me with a counselor in Chicago. After discussion with my primary care physician, who clearly stated he supported my mental health through therapy and a potential leave of absence, I started therapy. My therapist, who was a licensed counselor in Chicago, was the provider I was referred to by my work. And she was able to write for my leave of absence. Over one month later, I am being denied disability because she is not a medical doctor or nurse practitioner psychologist. And my primary care physician has chosen to abandon me, leaving me nine days to establish a relationship with a new provider medical, medical doctors, psychologists, nurse practitioner, et cetera, in order for me to submit a medical certification to the state so I can receive my disability. My other provider who knows me well agreed to help, but was blocked as she tried to submit information online and doesn't have access to. How is any of this process conducive to supporting my mental health? Why can't I speak with anyone at EA at, at the, um, EDD. When I call the phone system essentially hangs up on you after hitting zero and none of the recording options are helpful to my situation. As I started sharing this with my friends and family, I learned that every single person who I, who had been through this process had similar experiences getting in touch with trying to get in touch with anyone to help them. My mother had even gone through in in person when she went to the local EDD office, hoping to get answers for her case, and she was denied help even by the manager. How is it that those in need the most must go through this banal and grueling process, not even with, um, it's hard to read there, so there's a couple words I can't read, um, to receive their benefit. This is truly the banality of evil we are dealing with today. From my ignorant therapist not offering me any guidance through this, to my PCP abandonment, to the EDD system itself being impossible to navigate or receive help, how is this How is this the best we can do for our society? And then we wonder why people die from suicide or remain sick. I am fortunate to currently have with my mom to currently be with my mom where I can stay with her and not be stressed about rent. But what about everyone else? What about the mothers, the fathers who depend on this disability to feed themselves and their children? How have we let things get this bad? It's a complete disgrace to our society when we don't take care of the people who are in need the most, especially those who pay into this system and then are denied their own benefit simply because the system is designed to fail people. Wow, I haven't read that in a while. Um, so that was my experience towards the end of my bedside career. Um, 
in 2022. And I, um, yeah, it was, it was actually really horrible to go through when I was already struggling with my own mental health at the time. And to give you guys some context, what really led to me needing to take that leave of absence was everything I was going through in 2021 around vaccine mandates, around failed COVID policies, um, public health officials and CDC guidelines that were failing to support healthcare workers and really feeling completely disposable as a nurse and um, feeling that I was not valued. So I share that in, and I'm so grateful that I have a supportive family, a supportive group of really uh, core, core people in my life who, you know, I, who have been able to really, really help me and in getting me through because we can't do this alone. And so it's important to really recognize that being a bedside nurse is really shitty right now. And it's only gotten worse because COVID really only exacerbated the already fucked up things we were experiencing in the hospital setting. Um, so now I want to turn to my attention to, um, a story that happened at the beginning of COVID. I think, believe it was like the summer or fall of 2020. Um, at the time, a colleague and my, myself were in the process of, uh, forming a resilience council to support staff, um, in both San Francisco and Oakland for both campuses. So we had been working very closely with administration to do so. And we had their full support in moving forward. Um, again, I've always been very active in, uh, as a union rep and bargaining team member. So I'm very, very always had my finger on the pulse of what's happening and what nurses are going through throughout my career. And, um, and so we got word that a, uh, a nurse, a longtime nurse, I think she probably had been a nurse um, in that facility for maybe 30, 25, 30 years, that she died from suicide. Um, I approached the administration about it in a meeting um, that we had and asked why I had only heard because my friend worked in the emergency room. So she uh, vulnerably shared with me and was completely distraught and um, was just beside herself um, as this was somebody she cared for and a mentor and um, a very, um, very special person who had dedicated her life to this work. Um, And my question to the administration at the time, the chief nursing officer was why None, the rest of the hospital had not heard about this. Why, why weren't we honoring this nurse's life? Why weren't we talking about it? Why weren't we moving like quickly and swiftly to be proactive about, about these issues um, that we know it's like the shadow that we all know is there. We all feel it. And um, there was, it was kind of crickets, the response. And um, it was like, I was, you know, I was just really shocked. And that was a, an eye opener for me because 
I believe the administration's response was to send like a gift basket to the emergency department, but there were no follow-up emails or um, initiatives or uh, spaces to come together so that we could process as a community. Um, There was nothing that was offered or done. It was, that was it. It was kind of just, it was done. And so that was, um, you know, as we started to embark into the height of the pandemic and tensions are high and people are more stressed out and violence in the workplace is increasing. Um, you know, I had friends again being beat up in the, in the emergency room. I myself have been like in the middle of parents that are about to throw blows to each other and then been told by attending physicians and managers not to call security. You call security, they don't show up. Um, I mean, this is just the everyday, this is just a little glimpse into the everyday experiences of bedside nurses. It's not safe. We're understaffed, we're under-resourced, and we're losing really good people, um, whether it's to suicide, whether it's to just leaving the bedside entirely, and and we have to advocate for something better. And I'm sharing this because I don't really feel that the general public truly understands how terrible it is to be a bedside nurse these days. And since there continues to be this lack of awareness of the general state and unacceptable working conditions for nurses, we must continue informing and calling in support to will the change that is needed. And I also want to ask you a question. Do you all think that a workforce of burnt out, sick, and demoralized nurses and doctors and healthcare workers actually have the capacity to build the healthcare system that is needed? Why does the public continue to sit back and watch while our healthcare heroes suffer and or die? So this is really your call to action. And while you may feel helpless, don't, because there is a lot you can do to change the current trajectory of mental health for our distressed healthcare workforce. Because the abuse and exploitation of healthcare workers is going to continue and, and continue to claim lives of really good people. And ultimately the ripple effect of that impacts you as community members, the care that you receive, the ad, the type of advocacy you, you may not get because you have a nurse who's exhausted and undervalued caring for you, but not caring for you isn't present there. So we have to do better. Now let's talk a little bit more about Kate's letter. Let's also keep in mind that she was 28 years old. And recent statistics have shown that new nurses going into the workforce have an average of a two-year career span before they recognize and come come to not be able to tolerate the working conditions um, that currently exist. So... Kate's letter touches on a lot of really, really important aspects of what nurses are going through. What, and this is not just about nurses, respiratory therapists, physicians, the entire care team here. However, because up the majority of the health force, um, and I'm a nurse, that's why I'm focusing on this. Um, so everything she says, you know, here from, um, the dedicating long hours and days, crying with patients, her families, holding their hand, um, you know, bamboozled and 
really kind of, it really speaks to the Stockholm syndrome dynamic, right? At first, where you kind of are like making excuses for the abuser. And, and I still see that, you know, I see that among a lot of people. However, I'll say that the majority of nurses I know in my life, if they haven't already left the bedside to go do something else in nursing or leave completely the field, they are planning, they're strategically planning their way out. Um, you know, it's also important to let's look at some data. So I pulled up some articles here. I'm going to post them in the show notes, but, um, a recent article, this is from May 1st states that almost one third of nurses in the, in the United States are considering leaving the profession after COVID-19 pandemic left them overwhelmed and fatigued. According to a survey, this was a survey done of 18,000 nurses conducted by AMN healthcare services. Um, showed uh, that 30% of participants are looking to quit their career up to seven percentage points over 2021 when the pandemic triggered a wave of resignations began. So you guys can look more at that. Um, I also wanted to share another article here when we talk about um, the solutions for all of this and and what actually nurses and doctors are are, are needing um, there was a, uh, the burden, this, this article is called the burden of clinician and Phys- physician burnout, a study. And, and it says what makes the study so compelling in addition to its large multi-center survey study of 15,738 nurses and 5,312 physicians is the finding that respondents quote, rated improvements in staffing and work environments as more important to their mental health and well-being than instituting clinician wellness and resilience programs. In other words, the very focus that most hospitals have adopted, expanding wellness and resilience services for employees, misses the mark. While the addition or expansion of such such services may offer some short-term benefit, they do not address the underlying causes of burnout. In short, the problem is not the worker, it's the workplace. So really powerful study there. And and again, so the answers are clear. There's this is not some this is it's simple. Um the solutions are simple. And so I really want, while this is horrible and while we have lost so many, so many beautiful people to this epidemic of healthcare workforce abuse and exploitation by the healthcare system itself, again, a, a, a system that you, that really needs to be dismantled and we need to build an entirely new one and we can. Um, the solutions are simple and, and it starts with, with us coming together to have these conversations, to reimagine and actually come out of this mentality of feeling helpless because we are still here and we are powerful beings and we can do something. This is why I left the bedside to focus my energy and my attention into my nonprofit 
cultivating self, which is doing exactly this work. However, we need support. We aren't receiving support from the public. We aren't receiving, we are a small nonprofit and our focus is literally this, preventing suicide, supporting clinicians that are going through burnout, feeling isolated, feeling, experiencing compassion fatigue. This is why we exist because I went through that myself a couple of times. And I, again, as I shared anecdotally, and even the the data is showing here, this is the greatest public health crisis that we are experiencing right now. Because as I said before, the ultimate impact is on the community. So I'm calling you all in to connect with me about this work and It doesn't have to be just cultivating self. There are so many ways to contribute. However, here I'm literally handing you an an opportunity to show up as community members because this ultimately is going to serve you. We need funding. We need support. Cultivatingself.org. We are building solutions and community and creating spaces for these conversations that are regenerative and actually support clinicians and healers of all kinds in the community to feel nourished and supported so that they can access those spaces of imagination and really visualize what is needed, what we need to build together and how can we leverage our networks and resources to do so? Because when we all come together, that collective intelligence is where, is where we can really change things. So I am as as disheartened and sad I am to learn about another nurse who has who we have lost to this. Let's use her story and all the other stories to to recognize that we're still here and we can do something. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. Please connect with us. We again are a small nonprofit. We have been doing things community already. We've been things since 2018 and 2020 is when we actually formed, we created a regenerative space in the hospital that I worked at. It's called the reset room. That was an initiative by myself and my co-founder at the time who we are the ones that demand, we needed a place to, to reset after coding a patient, after taking a kid to the morgue, we had nothing. We, we built that with the, you know, that was completely nurse driven and nurse led. And it's open to the entire, uh, entire staff. That means, um, hospitality, kitchen workers, everyone is welcome in that space. I still get pictures and selfies this to this day, thanking me for initiating that. So we can do a lot in our communities. And I invite you all to connect with me more deeply about this work and the work that, that I'm doing, the work that my team is doing at Cultivating Self, because we need more support. This is not over. And so how can we continue to build momentum to show up for this great responsibility we have for the health of our communities, for the health of our future generations? Please connect and thank you. Finally, I'll leave us with a couple resources. People can call or text 988 
or chat 988lifeline.org for themselves or if they are worried about a loved one who may need crisis support. 988 serves as a universal entry point so that no matter where you live in the United States, you can reach a trained crisis counselor who can help. 988 offers 24-7 access to trained crisis counselors who can provide people experiencing mental health-related distress. That could be thoughts of suicide, mental health or substance use crisis, emotional distress. Please, please advocate for your loved ones. Check in on them. We do really well as healthcare workers um, hiding how we're really feeling because it's actually required of us in our work. Um, There aren't spaces for us to show our feelings, emotion, and so we do a really great job with compartmentalization. Please do reach out to those in your life who are healthcare workers. Check in with them constantly, support them, and give them space. Just hold space. Um, And for those of you who are healthcare workers seeking community of fellow healthcare workers and healers who have been through this, who are doing things in the community to generate hope and reimagine what a healthcare system that prioritizes our mental health can look like. Please do connect with us again at cultivatingself.org. Cultivatingself.org. You can go to the website. You can send us an email at cultivatingselfnow at gmail.com. We will get back to you. We're a small organization and we will find ways to build community, build more support and come together around this crisis so that we can be the bridge for what is needed. Thank you.